0: You're listening
1: to, whoa, hot luck, hot
2: luck, and what is poppin'? Everybody, you're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club. This is episode 139. Uh, my name is Marvin Uyet, and joining me, as always, to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We welcome back formerly self-proclaimed, actually. Upcoming self-proclaimed professional Asian-American, just you.
0: Yeah, I guess I have to be back in a professional (laughs) capacity, but like not as back as I was before. So that's fine.
2: You know what? It's okay. You got to do what you got to do and you got to do what you know. Because in this age of side hustles and gig economy, you know, sometimes... What you have to offer the world is professional Asian Americanness.
0: That's all I know how to do, and that's all I'm good for, Marvin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you're you're um you're joining. Um, can you announce that? Can you
0: announce or? I don't. I mean, I officially mm-hmm. signed it, but I guess I should like let the like ink dry <laughs> and like make sure. Like, give, give me like a week or two before we like yeah. before I update my LinkedIn and all that stuff. Yeah,
2: totally take advantage of our 100 listeners to. Uh, to promote your new gig when when it comes time but uh yeah just well do welcome back um happy new year haven't had the chance to say that to you yet
0: uh, happy new year it's been rough marvin i'm not gonna (laughs) lie um a lot of feelings um you know a lot of helicopters a lot of random politicians rolling in and out of my hood um like apparently kamala harris was by am i doxing myself
2: i mean no i mean we we i mean yeah, I mean, and you've been on pretty record, big, but I am yeah.
0: I am very close to to where the incident occurred. So, yeah, took a little time off for myself. Um it's it's still a little crazy over here, but uh you know, I think I I personally just very on the record want all the politicians to leave so that, you know, we can as a community can move on and 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 heal and grieve in like a very Personal way instead of a very political way, and like, oh my god, Gavin Newsom did not even take off his shoes, like that fucker. So
2: I saw that photo.
0: Did not even take off his fucking shoes. Someone Someone should have told him.
2: Someone someone on his team
0: should have told him. Does he have no Asians on his team?
2: I guess not. He has
0: no Asians on his team,
2: and I guess no Asians in that. You know what? I'm pretty sure someone asked him to take off his shoes, and he probably refused, like the white man he is.
0: I know, but that's, like, part of the song and game, you know? Like, my mother would tell my friends, like, you don't have to take off your shoes. Oh, no, my house is so dirty. And then you're like, no, 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 that's fine. I can take off my shoes. And you go back and forth, like, fighting for the check. It's a it's a little song and dance.
2: I know. Do you know what kind of PR win that would have been if he was photographed without his shoes in an Asian house? He would be the hero yeah. of all Asian Americans in California.
0: He should have He should have also, like, prepped, been ready and, like, had festive socks on. Like, festive Lunar New Year socks on. You know, that would have a missed opportunity.
2: Hire Something us, Gavin Newsom, up. to be your PR people.
0: I know. Oh, my God. But, like, <laughs> again, you know, trying to find these, like, little moments of levity in this, like, very intensely sad and tragic situation. Um, you know, he's, like, rolling up and down, like, Garvey, which is so fucking weird. Like, uh, and then he's going to all these random places. we like, why the fuck he's going to that one? We're like, everyone knows that's not the good bakery. Like, no one goes to that bakery. <laughs> <laughs> You
2: know, it's tough to get all this attention for something that like we're still processing. And I think it's hard because as people who work around the song and dance, you can't help but feel cynical about everything. Right. Like it's all I'm sure it's nice to hear that people care. But at the same time,
0: yes, it is technically what they are supposed to be doing, because to not acknowledge it would be terrible but also knowing how the sausage is made and then also, you know, effectively being from the farm in which the pigs are, you know, bad metaphor, but essentially like being on both sides and experiencing it firsthand as a member of the community uh, is like very upsetting. I'm just like, yeah, this is so insincere. Um, this feels very pandering and like are you going to do anything about it? Like, are you going to do some gun control shit on a city, county, state, federal level? Also like some of these like community leaders, like I know personally and, or went to school with them and I'm like, Oh, you are a, you are a straight idiot. And I cannot believe you have to be the spokesperson for this event. Now I won't name names, but like, yes, there are some people I'm like, wow. Oh, I know too much. <laughs> which i'm sure like happens a lot it's just it's just weird when it happens to you yeah it
2: is strange for like growing up in the Sangreal valley we always get attention for like our dim sum or our hong kong cafes or our boba but i guess you know in terms of the way we see things we don't want this we don't want this kind of attention right
0: we do not want this we do not want we do not want to be in the spotlight we do not want this tragedy we do not want this weird attention uh we do not want really i don't even what's the word like strange comments about the The one thing that really gets under my skin is when people were like oh my god one time i ate dim sum there like three years ago and i'm just like i understand you're all, everyone's trying to find a way to connect and like you know it means a lot but like it just sounds so shallow
2: yeah Oh, with all that being said, though, um, it's still a fresh wound, And we're still we're still I don't know if we're still learning. I feel like the world's moved on. Like There's been like other shootings since.
0: I mean, there was literally like three other shootings as we were doing all the press conferences for this shooting.
2: Yeah. Even my high school was on the news last week for like a bomb threat, which might have been a hoax, probably was a hoax. But still, like it's just it's it's weird, right? When the places, you know, places you grew up on are like now household names because people know about them because of well well, it's not even a
0: household name because half the people thought they were talking about Monterey in Monterey County you know by San Francisco Big Sur Mm. uh, including some very famous authors in our community and very uh, well known politicians I'm like you bitches you can't (laughs) even get the place right Mm. really really that's like that's like someone not knowing that's like someone calling you the wrong name
2: yeah Han's also here. Hey Han. <laughs>
0: hey. Sorry, Han. Sorry. I just took that. I drove that truck right to Downerville. I
2: mean, you weren't you weren't here last week, so we needed, you needed to get that off your chest. You no, know, Tan and I had some time to process this last week about how just how shitty everything is and how there's a lot of things that I think we still need to process, mm-hmm. including the fact that, you know, two of these shootings were conducted by old Asian men, right? And there's tons of stuff there that you probably needs to be unpacked as well. But I yeah. did
0: turn to my dad and I'm like, what's up with your demographic? What's happening? <laughs> what did you it's, say? He's like, don't look at me. I was like, mm, it's your people. What's happening?
2: John Ju is a man of peace.
0: He's just here for good vibes. That is true, though. John Ju is here just for a good time <laughs> and good vibes and to not hurt anybody.
2: Uh, Han, the most professional yeah. trader. What's up? So professional.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. Hey. Uh, what I, how do you, how
2: do you, how do we, how do we move on from that? Um, uh, again,
0: you could just
1: cut this whole part out. Of time. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I think it's worth it yeah. to welcome you back and have you process. But uh, <laughs> yeah, how do we I, move on? I mean, I get, that's not what this podcast is about. No, everyone's everyone is processing with us. So I will say, I do have a little bit of news for myself, which is I have uh, a new intern, and she is a Korean adoptee, and so we have been bonding over. K dramas and such and so it'll be it's it's fun to have someone in my job who can t- i can talk to about this
2: Honest found her person <laughs> it's always good to have your people
1: yes yes so <laughs> anyway but yeah glad to be here
2: yeah i mean i guess same as last week let's move on from depressing <laughs> news to talking about you know pop culture and shit um this week, uh it's the last week of January. God, it's only been one month in twenty twenty
0: three. It's been it's I I was just man, it's been a week like it's Tuesday. <laughs> oh my god. It's been yeah. a week. It's only Wednesday.
2: Uh,
0: oh my god.
2: Uh we didn't we didn't get a chance to do Do we want this last month? So uh, for this month, do we want this? We're going to be covering the latest Asian American entertainment news for the last two months. Uh, But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is getting us through this very, very long week. Jess, what's popping?
0: I started and finished all available episodes of Poker Face, the new murder mystery drama comedy uh, on Peacock, which Peacock has been killing it with original series starring Natasha Leone of uh, you may know her from Russian Doll or uh, Orange is the New Black. But in executive produced and some of the early episodes are directed by Ryan Johnson of Knives Out slash the only Star Wars that matters and the new trilogy fame. Um, it's really fun. In that jo- uh, Ryan Johnson, like I'm gonna upend some murder mystery shows, and I have been saying this for a while, and I'm very glad he finally gave me one. It is a murder mystery show or mystery show that's not centered on cops, so you can uh, unanimously root for the protagonist. In fact, the ineptitude of cops, or like the ineptitude of like the idea of evidence, or like being good enough for like evidence is constantly poked at through this show and um it's really great. It's fun. Um And so basically how he's upending the format is that we basically at the beginning of each episode already see the murder. We see as audience members with our own eyes who did it, why they did it, and um how they plan to cover their tracks. And then we kind of then fi- follow our main character who's named Charlie, who's special abilities like she's a basically a human lie detector. She can tell if someone's telling the truth or not. Um, it's a, there's no like supernaturalness. It's just an innate ability she has. She trusts this judgment she has. It's never steered her wrong. Um, but Charlie is also like the dumbest clever person you've ever met. Um, she constantly gets herself in like very dangerous <laughs> situations but she's not aware of her own da- the own danger we are because we know exactly who, what why and so it's really funny to watch and again and the overarching thing is basically she gets caught up into trouble and some bad guys chasing her so she's trying to lay low but in true like murder she wrote fashion um, you know she just keeps getting involved in these murders or these deaths um, what seem like deaths but she kind of susses out had more ill intentions um, so really really fun and it's a very, like, series of the week, problem of the week. And that lets us get really, really fun, amazing, talented guest appearances. I am talking, like, Oscar level. I am talking, not even Oscar level, like, world cinema level. Uh, we get <laughs> Chloe Savigny in an episode, playing, like, a washed-out rocker. Fantastic. We get Adrian Brody in the initial one. Uh, we get... Um, Lil Delray How Hower Howry, yeah, super fun episode, super duper fun episode. It's just really fun, and it takes place through the American South, so it's there's a bit of like a road trip Western, like kind of like Western noir vibe as well. It's just a really fun series. You it feels very satisfying each episode, um, but you also don't have to be too like. Like You don't necessarily have to like know exactly what's happened right before to enjoy what's going on. So highly recommend it's on Peacock, which is free. I don't know if people know this. Peacock is a free streaming service. Uh,
1: sorry to break this to you. Is it not going to oh, be free? No. Yeah, they're getting rid of the free tier. Just, no! It just broke today. Sorry. Enjoy it while you oh, can. We don't want that at all, do we? We don't yeah. want that, but so you have to hurry away. When is that going into effect? I didn't read the thing. Um, Motherfucker. but Motherfucker. It. It's on. Hold because on. they have too much good shit, like Poker Face. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, they have good on. stuff. They have good stuff. How um, cozy
2: are these mysteries?
0: They're not. They're very dark comedy. They're not as weird as Fargo, but you do get some characters. And there's some pretty explicit violence. Mm. um you know you see people getting shot there's blood um people are pretty ruthless but it's nothing too extreme like it's less extreme than the menu um the the most upsetting death actually um was a dog a asshole dog gets like um you know hurt in the process this is just
2: like megan it, yeah.
0: It's quite it's quite funny though because the dog she basically she's like on the road you know she's driving on the road on the run and this dog just jumps in her car and he's like a demon except he only calms down when he listens to conservative alt-right talk radio. Oh, no. So she calls him a fascist like a oh, fascist yeah. <laughs> Nazi dog. Uh, it's really funny but the dog's really cute but he's also like you know probably a Nazi. Um, but it's all very funny. That's kind of the tone this thing is striking. So we have death but we also have a running joke where she just forgets the word locker. Like she can't remember certain things or like there's a, there's a like, she either forgets things or can't accurately describe something. So like comes a whole bit where like, she's trying to draw like an animal. She's like, Oh, the guy, you know, with this logo on his truck and she can't name, it's a Fox, but she can't name the Fox. So she's like, it's a squirrel thing, but it's not a squirrel. And like, everyone's trying to like figure out what the fuck she's talking about. So like, again, that's kind of the very fun vibe that, you know Ryan Johnson, I think, is known for that. He's definitely, I think, put a lot of his DNA essence in this. Yeah, um, and I can't wait for the next episodes. They're all they've all been very fun, and I cannot wait for the Hong Chao is I guess star uh, one. Uh, yeah, That's hilarious. I
1: hear, I hear this week's Judith Light one is very good. Oh, so. I fucking oh. love is,
0: is. Are they just going through the the menu stars cast. of the menu?
2: When you die in the menu, you don't go to heaven. You go to yeah. Poker you go face. to poker
0: face.
1: Uh, yeah. And by the way, update so Peacock is you still get your free Jess but uh, it just no longer have a free tier for new subscribers. So oh Shit,
0: um, I'm grandfathered in. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: The, but also the free tier doesn't give you everything, so I understand why some people might want to pay, you know. It's worth it, I think at this point. Um, I just have so, so much have-
2: I have so many streaming services though.
1: Yeah, well, you know, this is this is where you share it with someone else. <laughs>
0: but but here are some of the other guest stars that are gonna be on this season. Uh Joseph Gordon Levitt, Stephanie Sue, Ellen Barkin, mm-hmm. uh Judith Light, Nick Nolte, Charles Melton, Jamila Jamil, Jamila Jamil, Tim Blake Nelson, you know, that guy. Oh wow. Hall's yeah. Cherry Jones, Louise Guzman, Rhea Perlman, Claire Duval. Like all these fun people.
2: Yeah. I like to think that this is just Brian Johnson knowing that he can only make one knives out every, you know, few years, few years. getting his chance to, to work with everyone he wants to work with because they all want to work with him and be in his murder it's mysteries. It's fun
0: and I think that so, speaks so well of him. And yeah, you know, you've only heard like I've only heard good things about Ryan Johnson. Daniel Craig loves Ryan Johnson. Everyone <laughs> seems to have a really good time on set. So, yeah, you know, I think I think we're seeing good vibes pays off in real life. I can't wait to see Stephanie Sue's episode and what weird yeah. character she's gonna play. Yeah, um, but they're all really fun and they all do feel like they have their own distinct vibe. Each episode does feel like it has its own distinct vibe. But of course, there's this is over. Oh, sorry, one of the bad guys chasing her is Benjamin Bratt. I buried the lead oh. there too. It's also very fun. <laughs> like he's the he's the man on the ground chasing her. So yeah. you know, it's all good. Yeah, go watch it, Marvin.
2: I will. I'm. It's on my to. This sounds like the perfect thing I can watch with with my wife because we love yes. a good mystery.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should try to. I should try to get this for my mom. I think she'll like that.
2: Speaking of good vibes, uh, Han, what's popping with you?
1: I don't know if that segue works for my show, but uh, my what I chose was The Last of Us, which is HBO's adaptation of the. Uh, post-apocalyptic zombie fungus taken over the world horror video game um, that pretty much set the world on fire. People adore this game um, for various reasons, including the uh, storytelling. Um, So this is HBO's adaptation starring our Mandalorian friend Pedro Pascal as Joel, um, and then we have from Game of Thrones, uh, Bella Ramsey, who plays Ellie. Um, and uh, basically, the concept is, you know, I know people are kind of tired of either zombies or post-apocalyptic things, but I think it's a little different. Um, basically, the ultimate um, disease, pandemic thing is not going to be a virus. It's not a bacteria. Uh, it is a type of fungus called cordyceps that has somehow been able to take over uh, humans as hosts. And they also control the humans. Um, so that's how you get the zombie aspect of them. And of course, the extra little creepy part of this is that, um, and we saw this a little bit in other sort of uh, fungus, sort of mushroom-based tv shows like star trek discovery where there's a mycelium network so this is has a um a world wood network where the fungi that is connected to one might be connected to others so it's sort of like hive mind um and so it's kind of a a journey tale uh where joel is trying to get ellie um somewhere because she is apparently immune um so she is infected and yet not showing signs of zombieism. Um, So they think that she might be the key to some sort of cure. Um, a lot of the same characters are used from the video game, but with casting, uh, some color-conscious casting, of course, you know, people are pretty angry. Uh, the bros who play the video games were angry about that. Um, I think some of the uh, casting choices have been pretty interesting and fun. They also made one character upcoming. Uh, People haven't seen this person yet is um, rewritten as deaf. Um, So yeah, so there's a lot of extra things. And the most recent episode is the one that people are talking about the most, because while everything in that world is usually about, you know, oh no, running away from zombies and killing them and maybe killing each other because we hate each other and don't trust each other. um, This one was a very sweet, Romantic episode where Nick Offerman plays a survivalist who kind of uh, hides out from the people uh, who are taking over the government. And he ends up having not only just a home to himself, but like a little town to himself. And um, he has a love story later on in life with uh, Murray Bartlett from The White Lotus. Um, the
0: the default HBO gay we love him (laughs)
1: yes this is actually it it took a lot of people by surprise because even in the video game it's kind of mentioned that Bill Nick Offerman's character had a partner named Frank um, but that's never really gone into this one gives them sort of more of an origin story um, that plays out in front of us and it's super super sweet it made Linda Ronstadt's song long long Time um, revived that sort of giving it the Kate Bush treatment um, that Stranger <laughs> Things did, but um, yeah. So I feel like if 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 you weren't quite sure about the show um, because it is a zombie post apocalyptic drama, um, I think the person who made this, uh, Craig Mazin, who had done. Chernobyl on HBO is someone you can kind of trust to take kind of hard subject and sort of find not just the humanity but like kind of where you, your your uh, emotions lie and are, he's able to kind of poke at that and like get that um, reaction from you. So
0: I would like to go on the record that I have been a big Linda Ronstadt fan and a big Boujolay fan before the show and now <laughs> um, you know that's probably going to be sold out that specific wine too is the one i buy. I'm like, "Damn it." And uh Linda Ronstadt, we me and my partner collect vinyls and we do original Amazing. pressings and we both love Linda Ronstadt. He plays it like all the time, Blue Bayou, like is always on in his car. And I'm like, "Babe, I don't I don't think we can go. I don't think we're going to be finding any of her vinyls anytime soon." Oh,
1: wow. That's kind of cool. <laughs> it's sad. My boujolet. You oh, were no. cool before.
2: My I Beaujolais. I have not started this show yet, um, but I was an avid player. I did play the original game. I did not play mm. um, part two. And it's interesting that you said um, that all the video game bros are upset about this because that is not new for this series. This series is very polarizing. The ending for the first game, very polarizing. The entire second game, extremely polarizing. Very
0: polarizing, um,
2: yes. And it's interesting because like, I'm going to eventually watch it. Um, I haven't started because I know I heard the first episode is pretty much the prologue of the video game. And that one has a very like
0: bad times.
2: It's bad times. So the interesting thing is like The Last of Us is a game by Naughty Dog, who is Mm -hmm. the company that also did Uncharted. And Mm -hmm. their whole thing is creating cinematic experiences as video games. And so it's actually no surprise that it translates well as an adaptation because it was already like the story was already kind of written as like a cinematic narrative mm-hmm. experience but i'm really curious about so i haven't seen any of the series yet so i don't know how like the characters if they're changed at all because the character of joel in the video game who is voiced by troy baker is like basically based on a very from what i understand a very specific type of texan masculinity which i can't imagine Pedro pascal like
1: he is still being. very texan he puts on the accent for sure um he is a type of masculinity but i don't think they play it up that much they they definitely s- show that he you know worked with his hands and but he they mainly i think emphasize the relationship with his daughter Sarah. It, isn't that isn't episode.
0: that what pedro pascal does now like yeah he's a like, dad i must save the, ch- the 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 special child i must be his dad's <laughs> special child and I remember I remember Kingsman too where he doesn't black fact play a Texas dude.
1: <laughs> there you go.
2: Yeah. I mean Joel is especially in that first game, he's not a good character. He's actually a very terrible man. Um they and a,
1: try to make a little bit of grayness for these characters for sure. Um, yeah. maybe not as much as in the video game.
2: Because I I've been going through like um like the original game, like I went through a couple years ago kind of revisiting it and just remembering the man, even knowing where this story is going and the choice that he makes at the end, which I'm curious to see what the show also does. Like, we're not meant to like this guy, which is hard because we all love Pedro Pascal. So I'm interested to see how how they pull that off.
0: And you play as him in the video game, right?
2: Yeah. In the first game, you play as Joel. And I, I do remember the bill level because... That was actually one of the tougher levels for me um, to make it through because you had to use a lot of stealth in that level because you're in the game, you are trying to get to build to like find shelter, but you have to go through all of his traps. And and I remember um, Home Alone. I love that. Yeah. I'll eventually get to it because it sounds like this is the show. Everyone's, it's like the zeitgeist right now. So, like, I am curious. And it sounds like they're, they're, they've making some interesting choices. So, um, yeah.
1: Cool. Um, so, Marvin, what's popping with you?
2: Uh, yeah, uh, what's popping with me is uh, it's the end of the month, which usually means that I am <laughs> racing to finish whatever book we're reading for Books in Bova. and Boba. Um, and this month it's Babel by R.F. Kwong. So that's going to be my What's Popping because this is a book that I feel like everyone should read. Um, it's not necessarily good times, but it's not necessarily bad times <laughs> either. It's a very, like, it's a book that'll get you fired up, especially if you have, if you are, you know, part of, like, a marginalized people that may or may not have been colonized in the past. Um,
0: <laughs> Sorry, such a. I mean, you're speaking. You're speaking to the audience, Marvin. <laughs> right.
2: So, um, Babel is Arv Kwan's follow up to her Poppy War trilogy. Um, it is a dark academia story taking place in um, basically the. Um, um, Basically, the early Victorian era, like the story actually starts before Victoria's coronation at the end of her, was her dad or grandfather was the one that preceded her? Um, It
0: was her uncle.
2: Okay. Um, And the story follows a, (laughs) it's, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a expert on British timeline. So I got to rely on people like Jess who... It is her entire personality.
0: That's, I'm no, I'm so ashamed. (laughs) But yes, so right before
1: her coronation.
2: The story follows a boy who is um, whisked away from his home in Canton, China um, by an English benefactor to become his ward to be groomed to attend Oxford as a student of translation. Um, We soon find out that. The boy, now named Robin Swift, is actually the illegitimate child of the said professor, Professor Lovell. Although he won't admit to it because he is a proper English gentleman. He's an ass. Dick. And so the setting is actually an alternate universe version of our world. Um, It is a world where magic exists in the form of silverworking, which is harnessing the power of translation to create uh, magical effects. And the British Empire, being the largest colonial power, has the monopoly on silverworking and its benefits. And it's a really interesting magic system. The way it works is um, two words are inscribed onto a piece of magical silver, on one side a foreign language like Chinese and on the other side English and basically the silver manifests the meaning lost in translation between the two languages and creates an effect um, like making cars go faster or making it so flowers don't wilt or um, say uh, make your guns shoot better (laughs) and so Robin is enrolled into Oxford um, to study at the U- Royal Institute of Translation, also known as Babel, um, to become a professional translator for the crown. And the first part of the story follows his adventures along with his cohort as they try to survive through their four years of university in their quest to become silver working translators. Um, but this is an R of Quam book, and this book definitely follows her style, where halfway through the book, um, things take a turn, the world changes, um, and global conflicts caused by said British Empire um, start to crack at that facade. So Robin is torn between wanting to pursue his passion in language and the benefits provided by being a scholar in Oxford versus his complicity in the activity of empire, especially when um, Britain starts setting its sights on um, his homeland of China. And, man, Han, you read this book, too. Like, yeah. This book definitely doesn't shy away from its portrayal of the violence of empire, of British colonialism, and of its roots in capitalism, and the excuses that the British used um, to excuse their rampant colonialism.
1: Yeah, the hypocrisy there. Um, I think the other thing I liked about it, because you did touch on this as far as um, using translations to unlock the magic for certain things in the silver, but it's kind of, I mean, it's a, also a very... Uh, apt metaphor for people who love words and academia and knowledge where the more information you have about like, let's say the etymology of a word, um, the kind of the deeper that the magic can go because there's the concept of, you know, root words um, but also puns work too. Um, So there's just kind of a lot of things get there. And um, what I like about uh, Kwong is that she clearly was, you know, uh, in uh, academia, but she also shows a lot of her research. And so if anyone who has, you know, read these texts before knows all about footnotes, there's a lot, a hell of a lot of footnotes in this book, but it works. And the it footnotes works really are, well.
2: Yeah. And the footnotes are part of the narrative, too. Like they the footnotes not only explain things like the entomology of certain words, but also the history behind like the fictional history behind terms and people within this world as well it's it's really cleverly done i mean this book was inspired by her own experiences as a graduate student in oxford i think she posted on twitter like just being inspired by like these two statues of old white dudes um Mm -hmm. that she had to stare at whenever she was at the library studying and one of the things I love the most is that she has an alternate title for her book, like the full title of her book is Babel or the Necessity of Violence in Arcane History of the Oxford Translators Revolution.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: no one's going to be using that in um, publication or like in, in common day life. Yeah. But so. it's uh, it's, but a, it's, a, it's a, fun.
1: It's a good callback, though, to those texts that she probably read yeah. you know, that are that are kind of, you know, like bloated. And yeah, uh, yeah. the dissertation titles. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. So at the time of recording, I've almost finished the book, and man, like the first half of the book is kind of like fun times at school, um, anxiety of tests, and, you know, wanting to prove yourselves. But then once the turn happens, um, it starts going into much deeper um, questions, like how do you reconcile complicity in the adventure of colonialism? Um, is violence necessary for revolution? And Man, it just does not let up. Um, it is a lot less violent than her previous series, The Poppy War, um, but it's just as intense.
1: Yeah, I, I I liked that it was a standalone, even though it is a hefty book. Um, you kind of do feel accomplished after yeah. finishing it, and you know that there aren't three. Because the Poppy War series had three, it was a trilogy, <laughs> yeah. which I'm still getting through. Uh, so, yeah, uh,
2: and um, yeah. it makes me really excited for her next book, which is coming out later this year called Yellow Face, which is her, yes. which Ooh. is her um, send up publishing, of publishing, like the publishing world, which is extra ironic because all of her books are HarperCollins books, and as we know, Harper yes. Collins is now embroiled in like it's like day fifty six of their publisher strike. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you've been following this. Just like the, all, like basically the entire publishing staff, editorial, they're they've been on strike since November, and what they are asking for is a living wage and more support for diverse books.
0: Oh yikes! Yeah, they're asking I mean, for
2: fifty thousand a year to live and work in New York City.
0: Oh my god, that's yeah. Oh ouch!
1: Oh my god, and it was literally literally reported today that they are cutting 5% of its workforce in North America. So like Uh,
0: my barometer for like, you're really sad, like poor is like, if you get paid less than I did when I worked nonprofit and mm. and, and New York too. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah.
2: So yeah.
0: (gasps) Not Uh, a good look, Harper Collins. Not a great look.
2: Yeah. And it's not like the money is there. We always know the money is there. Maybe just just, pay your CEO's yeah, less. Maybe seal that yeah. maybe maybe. <laughs> <sighs>
0: I mean, I know that and you know that, but yeah, you know we all know that. We're on very, this is a very pro union house, Marvin.
2: <laughs> good pop. We support the unions. Um
0: <laughs> Yes. Yes, good pop is supporting the unions. Absolutely. I'm sorry, there's never been a good piece of pop culture where we're like, yeah, we're anti-union. No, it's always like the unions like fighting against. The big bad corporation, right? Billy Elliot.
1: Yeah, i I had to fight really hard to get part of my union um, at salon, so and I am now. So, yeah. um, but previous places I didn't, and honestly, I really wish I'd had because of the amount of overwork and overtime and all this other like BS that you have to go through. And they always say you can just take a comp day, but you, whenever you ask for a comp day, they're like, "But we need you this day." It's just total bullshit also um, in california that's very illegal you cannot do that oh god it's ridiculous um so yeah
2: <laughs> yeah so i guess um i mean technically i'm not promoting the book we're not we're not crossing the picket lines here um we support the authors we don't support exploitation of publishers and um i think i don't know i feel like we're in a gray area here but um R. kwan her books are good and she also supports the union she actually spoke at their um their protest she not I think
0: she, I saw that I think she wouldn't mind right now if, you know, you got your hands, your hands on this book in a way that does not give Harper Collins more money. <laughs> Whatever she, that means, library. No, no, no. no. She
1: she literally said, hey, any Asian American like whoever, uh, probably journalist um, who wants it, um, let me know and I will make sure you get a copy. So yeah, uh, Love I, that. Need to, I need to find that post. <laughs> Because I want a copy for sure.
2: <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that's what's popping for this week. When we come back, we take a look at the latest Asian American entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this. to grow around. Hey Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Roman. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight, dude. Inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh
0: yes, Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club
2: where I, Ace Reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild mannered Roman Seidel, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works, or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki, from Maracas to Zendaya, from Adrian Tomine to Jean Luyang, you might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff they could just read the books with us right yes they could do that but you could also just send us money no ryan that's not how passion podcast projects work why in the hell are we even doing this uh i'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode so tune in each week to quarantine comics that's QTDComics.com. set phasers to fun part of the potluck podcast collective and welcome back to the good pop culture club uh we are at the end of january so once again it's time to take a look at the latest asian american entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this uh since we didn't cover the news in december um we'll be covering. Um, news that came from both months this episode. Uh, So yeah, let's get started. Uh, Jess, what is our first story?
0: Well, my story, it's really everyone's story. It's the community story, Marvin. Um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once leads the Academy Award nominations with 11 nods. Um, That includes Best Feature, Best director, best actor for actress for Michelle Yeoh, best supporting actress for both Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Su, which was a very fun surprise because Stephanie Su was definitely not getting a lot of love up to this point in the awards circuit, and then best supporting actor um uh for Ki Hua Juan, which his reaction was very sweet, and a bunch of other I think I think costuming got as well as and some other things. So how do we want this?
2: Yeah. I'm calling me surprised. I like, I we all agree that Everything Ever All at Once was one of the best movies of last year. But I didn't think it would like carry over. It's to not the it's not
0: typically no, it's not typically the movie that kind of movie that the Academy likes to reward. Um, it's also very I, I don't know if you've been on the Twitter, but there's also some, you know racist hullabaloo going along about it, about, you know, people really not understanding, a certain demographic really not understanding this movie uh, and and calling it terrible. Um, but, you know, I think more movies should also just be divisive because I think that means it is trying something. Um, and, I mean, statistically, the movie with the most nominations does not sweep the awards. So it's not a guarantee, but it, it will be very fun seeing everybody on the red carpet doing the Oscar push. and it does feel like the men, the, men, the momentum of several years work in this space is we're kind of seeing the results a little more now in a very mainstream way.
1: Right. Um, okay. Sorry. I need to add this really quick uh, if we can put this under Yellowface. But um, apparently, there is a HarperCollins Union on strike uh, bookshop page. So if you buy the books, uh, Hello, uh HarperCollins books on that bookshop page, such as Yellowface, then you can just be supporting the union. Okay. Yay. Yeah. All right. Yes. Very important. Okay. So back to the Oscars. Um, so, what I will say about this movie is for a movie that came out last March that we've been talking about forever. It is I give I bow down to A twenty four for keeping the Oscar campaign alive for this many months because there's no way in hell that a movie in March I think I think Nope came out around that time. Um Nope they got do,
0: no nominations. Yeah, that
1: kind of just petered out. They they stopped even trying to like keep it in front of people. I think I got one screener for it and I was just like, really? Um but uh but a twenty four not only has been continually supporting and pushing this movie, but of course the wonderful stars have been making themselves available everywhere, and um and you know time named uh, uh Michelle Yeoh as their icon of the year. So their their names, their faces, the story of Qi Hui Kwan's you know resurgence has been um replayed everywhere so i think that's helped just keep it in the consciousness of everyone and now they're they've re-released it in theaters so they are really gunning to like keep this like top of mind for people i think it's the good sort of uh i hate to say cinderella story that oscar voters like um it's it is a very enjoyable movie so i'm not saying it's you know that it's fake um, support. I think uh, people genuinely liked and enjoyed it. And then they realized that they liked a lot of other aspects of it. Um, yes. Yeah. So the, the PR
0: narrative around this movie, I think, is the best of yeah. all the movies in contention. The individual stories um, I think are the most effective. And we all know Oscars. is a PR campaign.
1: It is. Um, yeah. yeah. And obviously, I'm very happy about this. I do think sadly um there's outrage when it came to the Oscar nominations because I think some people feel like it's a zero-sum game it's like hey you honor some people of color and we don't have to honor the other people of color so it's like Asians got it this year we don't need to pay attention to let's say the black women um who have done amazing things on the screen so I don't want to take away from everything everywhere all at once but it's kind of like i'm just more of like taking a pot shot at the Oscar. yeah academy.
2: i mean that's yes. still like an academy problem and you know yeah. it, it sucks that some people will see this as like another wedge issue which is like oh because because wasn't it reported that like asian americans led the nominations this year like the majority I mean, no of,
0: it's still mostly like, white people uh let's let's get that out of the way yeah Yes, of the marginalized, we probably did better. But also, you know, you're still talking about, you know, no color at all in the best actor race. Yeah. Uh, there's no women at all of any race, of any ethnicity for best director.
1: I, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, it's it's Oscars. It's always going to be, uh, you know, two steps forward, one step back.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think something that like, so our friend Nancy Yunwen or, yeah, um, we were talking about this and she's like, oh, I'm definitely happy for the movie. However, why are these stories, like why is everything the first time? So why is it that this is like Michelle Yeoh is making such uh, a a big splash right now when she's what, in her 60s? And why is this the first time we've had let's say i think it's in the sporting category two asian american actresses against each other it's kind of like there's too many first because and our country is like how old so it like we know that these problems exist and i'm happy for all the strides that have been made but it's also kind of just like galling that it's taken this long and also does that mean next year you know everything's going to revert back you know if there isn't a big movie like everything everywhere all at once so uh yeah i'm i i feel like I'm just super aware of like how cool it is. Like uh Hong Cho um got a, a nomination for the whale. Um, although I think she should have got it for the menu if that was even in contention. Yes. <laughs> for just that
0: one line reading of tortillas. 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 Delicias.
1: Deliciosas. Um, but yeah. Um yeah, anyway, so I, I'm I'm kind of and- thrilled. I'm I'm happy for Oscar. Oscar's yes. day is gonna be lit. So
0: (laughs) also, I mean, my my like cynical disclaimer, like in the grand scheme of things, the Oscars don't matter, except sometimes the Oscars will uh, increase your profile there. And then your your pay scale, basically, basically, you can get things greenlit. You get paid more if you're an Oscar winner, typically. However, we have also seen that does not always happen with nominees slash winners of color. Mm-hmm. so it's also like you know everything in the grain of salt it's really fun when we win when Parasite won holy shit that was a great night but also uh, and you know you do get like kind of like these Cinderella terrible term I know cliche stories mm-hmm. like Barry Jenkins you know winning from Moonlight and basically getting like carte blanche to do whatever he wants but that's still very far view in between you also get you know stories like you know he they won an Oscar and they disappeared because there were no roles yep so hopefully it's better yeah um, regardless I'm very excited to look at the pretty dresses and the, the 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 fun kind of all the PR events leading up to it yeah um, it's Hollywood baby
2: very happy for Stephanie Sue finally getting the nom
0: finally
1: finally what the fuck people <laughs>
0: okay this is the one that matters no one gives a shit about the Golden Globes I thought we all collectively agreed to not give a shit about the Golden Globes and then I feel like more people gave a shit about the Golden Globes this year than I anticipated
1: I think it was just because the Golden Globes took A year off, and so people were like, What's up with this now? This year, so I don't and know. I guess I they really... were like
0: on a Tuesday or something, yeah. Like, yeah,
1: we yeah.
2: It. it's awards, it's shining, there's speeches. Um, yeah, Jennifer Coolidge was... doing her thing, you know.
1: Yeah, all right, <laughs> but
0: yes, I think overall, we want this, yeah. Let's see what happens. <laughs> but Han, what's popping with you? No, what? not what's popping, <laughs> Han. What's <laughs> our next? new story what's our next story i got my segments confused
1: it's all the same uh let's see this is one that i weirdly was excited about being someone who doesn't care about sports generally or baseball but uh (laughs) dodgers newest voice steven nelson will be the uh major league baseball's only asian american play-by-play announcer Woo! which I think is pretty cool because I feel like a lot of these play by play people have become such huge presences in the sport itself. Like we know about Vin Scully, you know? Uh, So I think he may not be the main guy. I think he's a fill in announcer, but doesn't mean that he won't get a lot of play because you know, no one can do all of them, but um, he's only 33. So he's got kind of like a long career ahead of him. Um, And I also just like the fact that, you know, Asian Americans, uh, and baseball which is the most american sport you know of all i i want to hear like what insights he might have um anyway i want this i do i don't know what anyone else feels like
0: <laughs> i know absolutely nothing about baseball but i do know i read an article he's like fourth generation ja japanese american mm-hmm. family's been you know la baby i am so happy he could be my friend like yeah, he sounds like he sounds like my friend, and I know my JA friends are deep, deep Dodgers fans. So I am very happy for him. I do think that you know the the voice of baseball for any particular team does become a local hero at least. Mm-hmm. Like ever, I have never watched a Dodgers game in my life, but I know who Vince Scully is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I drive by Vince Scully. You take that little detour through Vince <laughs> Scully when you get detoured yes. through Griffith Park. Uh, So I think it's very cool. Um, I think I just like just on a very personal level, I'm just very happy for this man I do not know. Yeah. This is like the gig, right? Like, this is the gig.
1: I want to know, like, what game he's going to do the play by play. And so that way I can either watch it or whatever. Because it's like, I just, this one made me more interested in baseball than anything else.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like, Han, I've only gone to Dodger stadiums for concerts. I've been twice, (laughs) once with you and once with someone else for Paul McCartney. Like, that is my experience at Dodger, at at, at, like baseball stadiums.
1: Uh, Elton John was a really good experience, though. It was a very good
0: experience. (laughs) A little spoiled now.
2: I think I, I I definitely want this too. I think I know he's kind of like the the backup announcer, but mm-hmm. it's wild that he's the first one. Like like we were talking about with the Oscars. Like and you have to imagine all the reasons why Asian Americans weren't allowed to be announcers up until now. And it makes sense that LA is the city where this happens first, because mm-hmm. the LA Dodgers as an organization has had a long history of being the most friendly to international players. Like the Dodgers were one of the first to bring in like players from um, Japan, right? Hideo Nomo like mm-hmm. was a huge
1: uh, Sure, the 90s, you could tell you know? me
0: anything right now and I'd be like, yeah, sounds right, Marvin."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I do kind of agree where it's like the other country that loves baseball as much as the US is Japan. And so there are deep roots there and sort of rivalries. Um, and so I am curious not to say that since he is a fourth generation, he probably has no like real allegiance over there for any teams, but because uh, I think it was actually the Chicago White Sox that he first, you know, was rooting for. But he's now uh, Dodgers blue. Um, so, yeah, I, I I am curious though to see if there might be other opportunities for uh for him to I don't know look at at baseball around the world. Um is um
0: is he single? No,
1: he's married. <laughs> he has a kid.
0: Damn. All right. Yeah. Fine. I mean, not for me. Not for me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean definitely because, and it's we're we're so easy, right? Now that we know the fact, this fact that this man is uh, Asian American, now it's like maybe I will listen to more Dodger games on the radio because we all know we can't watch those games on TV because of all the blackouts. Oh yeah, like I don't know if you you guys probably don't follow this, but it is impossible. You you can't watch Dodger games on regular TV. You have to be subscribed to a Spectrum cable connection. In order to watch Dodger games, it is the most dumbest thing.
1: Oh, we okay. should
0: we should just go to a Dodgers game. Yeah, I felt like that would be easier. <laughs> so,
1: so I've literally so, but Jess, besides going to see Elton John, I've only been once to Dodger Stadium. It was for a Dodgers game because I have friends who are Dodgers fans. I couldn't tell you who played. Um, I said I only want to go for the food. Um, and uh and the only thing is you know i enjoyed the food but also we didn't get to be in the special place where where uh my friend said he could get us in so i was slightly disappointed in that uh, i did bring a book um the last time i attended a baseball game i brought a book and my uh and and my uh my i think it was in college and they were very mad at me that i was reading a book and i was just like you don't want me trying to watch and falling asleep
0: <laughs> i i only know about baseball games through um, journalism movies and Mm -hmm. like rom-coms because there's always like a scene where they like watch and talk because I guess in a base like a baseball game is so long and boring you can do that (laughs) we should go to
2: a soccer game Um,
1: oh yes
2: yeah either um, LAFC or, or their sister team Angel City Football Club which is the uh, women's professional soccer team in L.A. Yes,
1: that
0: sounds more fun. Which takes place yes. in,
2: um, well, formerly Bank of California Stadium. It has now been renamed to oh, Ford, what is it now? BMO Stadium. Bank of Montreal oh. Stadium in Los oh, Angeles. Oh, what? Since
0: when? Since like Wow, we don't know we don't even have our own bonks anymore. It's bonk. Bonka of California, Marvin. It was a C. Bonk, bonk of
2: California can no longer afford uh, the, the uh, Canadians. naming rights. So that's taking. So the Canadians. It's your people. Have swooped your in. people. Not my people. These are the French Canadians. So we don't we don't claim them.
0: I mean, whatever. Don't you have dual now? Like, aren't you? You've got exit <laughs> plan both ways. Truly blessed. Mm. Yeah. <laughs>
2: All right, our next story. Um, let's bring it back to Book World for a sec because uh, this is something that came up on my feed earlier today, which um, I don't know if you know, but there has been a. Um, let's say, pandemic of book banning that's been going on everywhere, specifically um, the American South. And um, just this morning, it was announced that Jasmine Toguchi, Mochi Queen, a series for young readers by uh, Debbie Michiko Florence, has been banned in Florida. And the reason being that people opposed it because it has a Japanese-American heroine.
0: Like that's it? Like they're not even trying to spin something else?
2: Oh, just like, I don't know if you know this, but... In like places like... Um, this is actually a pretty common reason to ban books. Like any book that has gay representation, non-white heroes or heroines, and um, talk about slavery or Japanese internment. Um, mm-hmm. Kelly Yang, who has a book called On Front Desk, which is about a mm-hmm. girl who helps out in her parents' motel, which also acts as like a shelter for undocumented people, got banned because, quote-unquote... I don't want my son to feel bad for being white.
1: Uh, guess what? He doesn't have to feel bad about being white. Do we want uh, this? <laughs> the band?
0: This? No, no. I mean, you know who would like this? The fascist dog from Poker mm-hmm. Face. Because this
1: is this yeah. is
0: not even like like subtle fascism. This is like just fascism.
2: Yeah, it's wild. Like, so I, I remember reading a story. I think it was earlier this month where a school district in Florida banned a
1: bunch of Toni Morrison books. Oh my God. Ugh. Book banning is just, sorry, like, it just, it hurts my it's heart. Never, yeah, it, it's it's, it's not, never, it's
0: never a good sign. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can't reason with Crazy, you know what I mean? Like, we know why they're doing this. Yeah, it's,
2: but Crazy also has a playbook because there are, like, chapters of these um, conservative parenting groups that pretty much has a playbook of how to go to school districts to get books banned that like aren't pre-approved by these parents, and it's
0: there, there's just like again, I know you can't reason with like insanity, but it's just like wow, there's like so many, there's like millions, if not billions, of other things you could do with your time and energy to like actually benefit the world for like better or benefit your community for better. Like, goddamn it, like spend some time with your own kids. Um, it's again, can't, can't reason with them, but like, yo, and also it's like, you know, you know, this never works, right? Like this never works. It's, it's even easier now to just get a bunch of shit through other means. Um, so, oh God, fascism. Like what is else there to say? It's like, this is horrifying and it's fascist. Yeah.
2: yeah. All right, let's bring us out of this uh, this bummer zone. Uh, Jess, what's our next story?
0: In, in a in a change, a little change of uh, vibes. Lee Isaac Chung of Minari fame, writer director, um, is in talks to direct a Twister sequel. Do we want this?
1: uh i think so i fuck yes are we are
0: are is this am i talking to twister high yeah are we all big fans of fucking
1: twister absolutely i am absolutely
2: i remember liking the film uh and totally buying into whatever it was about even though
0: like thinking about objectively this
2: film is just the dumbest shit ever right
0: I think it came out when I was like very young, like single digits. Um, so I just and it was like it was like a cable staple, right? And so like I I truly do not really understand what even the pseudoscience of twister is about. I just never had a good time and I remember distinctly the, the, the image of the cow flying around. Yeah. And I used to have recurring dreams about a cow flying around. So very formative. But you know what? Lee Isaac Chung, I don't know how his like vibe. Fits into a twister movie, but I want him to get his bag, and I want him to make blockbusters with whoever the the night the two thousand twenty four equivalent of um, what Holly Hunt and Will Paxton is. What
2: if this is just what if tornadoes, but with the Minari family?
0: I would fucking oh my god! If he got Stevie Young in it, because I mean, I guess his vibe is like Midwest. Yeah, flyover <laughs> state. Do it. Do it. Like, it'll be set in Arkansas. Maybe we'll get a little, like, a little more... Yeah, Korean farming family deals with Twister.
1: All right, so
2: Steve Young is the Bill Paxton. Who is Helen Hunt? Who is Korean Helen Hunt?
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, does she have to be Korean specifically? I
2: guess not. We, we, we should just get Hong Chao in this, right?
0: Oh, yeah, put her in everything. That would be fine. <laughs> um, well, the whole thing about Twister is also that it did not need... Like a list stars, right? Like I love Bill Paxton, but you know he wasn't exactly like. I mean,
2: this box office. This cast was pretty like, stacked. It was gold. Bill Paxton Hell in Hunt? Carrie Lewis. Um I do
0: like Carrie Ellis, but you know, was he, he, he? was, was evil.
2: Was, was he the evil? He was scientist? the evil
0: guy. In Twisters, yeah, yeah, yeah. Evil science versus
2: you, you good know they're science. evil because they wear sunglasses and all black.
0: I just oh and I remember like the like lashing the belt onto the pipe as like that would have actually saved you in a real twister. It's also like it's not the wind that fucks you up. It's like the, the house slamming into your face. But yes, I love I love disaster movies. I love blockbuster disaster movies. It doesn't even have to be very good for me to be like to buy in. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, San Andreas. <laughs> The Rock movie, uh, I enjoyed. I actually really, really like the day after tomorrow, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Oh yeah. So yes, I would love. I'm just that happy with M-work, another right? twister. I don't even know. I just know Dennis Quaid was like the dad where He went <laughs> like totally cuckoo, and, uh, and, and and Emmy Rossum, a young Emmy Rossum, and Jake Gyllenhaal. Are
1: are uh, you? Yeah. Uh, just sort of along this 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 line of. I don't know, uh ridiculous over the top uh disastrous stuff. Um, are you watching La Brea on I think you can get it on Peacock. It's,
0: it's I, I I saw the um that's the one where they fall into the tarp and come out in like ten thousand BC with like mammoths and shit, right? Yeah,
1: there's time travel, but there's also a contemporary plot line. <laughs> Anyway, uh that's on You M-
0: say that with the laugh. <laughs> it's
1: it's it's Super ridiculous, but it I think it's kind of equivalent of the show Zoo that was on a, a while back. Yeah,
0: I do remember Zoo. Yeah, yes. anyway. That was fucking wild. Um, So yeah, I hope this works out. I hope Lee Lys-Chunk gets a big fat check and he can start doing whatever he wants with yeah. that. Um, And I hope we get some more sexy people chasing tornadoes.
2: You know, say what you will, but this is the exact same um, career trajectory as Justin Lin. So
0: yeah, that's right. And he gave us the best movie ever made. <clears throat> fast five so let's hope we get another fa- maybe Twister 2 is a fast five Thank I you. thought you were going to no. say
2: Tokyo Drift
0: N- no, fast no we five. love Tokyo Drift but we know it's not
1: good Marvin let's not <laughs> kid ourselves it's just part of the lore that's all yeah
0: all right Han oh what else is happening uh
1: sort of a downer um but since we missed it in December I wanted to uh talk a little bit about this um which is basically Broadway's K-pop Uh, performance set and well it basically closed down abruptly so uh when the actual report came out it was early december but then its final performance was december 11th um it had opened october 13th and it was supposed to go through like a lot longer (laughs) than this um the final performance was you know they kind of used as an opportunity to have a good conversation so david henry Huang was there um uh, Helen Park just a bunch of people um, the only thing that I think is kind of existing longer is I believe the original cast recording will be released uh, in February of this year so later this month um, by the time you are listening to this um, I'm kind of hoping that we will get a like a Disney Plus um, performance or something but um, yeah so I would say do we want this and I know the answer but I want to hear from Jess especially <laughs>
0: it's I I it's so surprising like i I I was so shocked because I was planning on seeing it in January like like literally like maybe last week and it's just so insane because it did so well off Broadway mm-hmm. so I don't really know what happened did they ever like talk about I might have missed it in like the hullabaloo of like holiday stuff but like did they ever go on the record and say why it's closing is it just not profitable
2: yeah I think the official there was no I, at least I didn't see any official um, like explanation from the theater. But um, word on the street is it's a combination of it not selling well and it being reviewed badly. Or, or that, at least on the New York Times. The reviews. The yeah. Reviews. That, I think
1: that yeah. And COVID ca- cancellation. So it was kind of like a lot of things stacked on up top of things. But yes, the bad reviews from people who don't know k-pop basically or appreciate it uh that became a, a, a notorious thing
0: i i think it's really i mean i understand the the capital investment it takes to mount a show um but the fact that it did so well off broadway and got very good reviews um but something i don't know if they changed it drastically or not i did not see the Broadway, off-Broadway version, though many of my I had many theater friends who did go and said they had a good time. That is where Ashley Park had her kind of star turn before she did Emily in Paris. Um but yeah, the I remember the review aspect and you know how we talk about journalism or specifically criticism in theater. And it's not just—I think it was emphasized by the fact that this is not like a traditional, like white American way, white American way, the Great White Way. You know, they call it that for a reason. <laughs> um, show, but it's also like to me, it's just so dumb because you already invested all this money. Um, K-pop—it's not a cheap not show, away. right? It's—I like- mean, it's never a cheap show. It's always going to be about cast, like paying your cast and crew and. But like I don't I wonder if they had to buy out a theater's run. I don't think they did. Um, but it's such a shame that like it, that became the story instead of mm-hmm. like, you know, like this is actually one of the few shows written by an Asian American pe- like creative team. Like a lot of the shows that cast Asian Americans, including the upcoming Here Lies Love, not written by Asian folks. Mm-hmm. So that in itself always sits poorly with me. Um, because, you know what is yellow face what is that not just yellow face in a different form
1: yeah um
0: and so yeah it's just it's it's such a shame i do hope it has its like you know revival in some way shape or form never say never um you know things also may find it like i i find like sometimes like if they could find a cast recording Maybe that would be somewhere, but just so like it's—it's just so dumb to close it when there's, there does seem to be interest. Like you kind of didn't give it time to find its leg. It was open for like what, like a month? Yeah, like two weeks.
2: Yeah, it—it—it smacks of whoever runs the theater. It smacks of fear. Yeah, was looking for a reason to confirm their skepticism that a show like this could succeed. And it just became a self fulfilling prophecy. I mean, is that what actually happened? I don't know. we don't know, but
1: yeah it's, but, it's, it's the abruptness was truly bizarre because there was no hey, we need to like recoup or like make sure that this week does really well in order to stay alive it it like the actors were taken by surprise, so yeah, yeah, it was kind of it was it was shady,
2: I guess at the very least at least they didn't at least he didn't replace it with like a Miss Saigon.
1: Ugh.
0: Oh my god, Miss Saigon could go fucking die in a trash pit.
1: It, I remember a friend of mine who basically sees everything um, at the Pantages It's like, Hey, I have an extra ticket uh, Miss Saigon. <laughs> and I was like, no. She's like, well, why not? And I was like, no. Yeah, I mean, I maybe thought you can find I a thought touring life.
0: <laughs> yeah maybe you can find a touring life maybe you can find like uh, like even a small tour that like like a regional tour that like hits like the major cultural cities I mean I think I can see uh, it doing you know, really large well large Asian populations
2: yeah I can see mm-hmm. it doing pretty well if it comes to comes to the Pantages I mean I feel like we have a pretty decent built-in audience it here does, but at the it, same yeah, time like, does, New York should have yeah. been a shoe in too because
0: plenty yeah I feel
1: I feel like yeah. my hope now is that a friend of mine who has a high school kid they're going to Put on their performance and I'll get invited.
0: <laughs> it's also just so like, like, I don't know. Theater's so archaic in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, and the again, the production, like the cap, initial capital investment is fucking insane. And that's why in what's happening in movies, like with the Marvelification and like this IP thing is happening also in theater, like Disney Universal produced these really you know, based on their own IPs. Like that's why you get Frozen the musical and Aladdin in the musical. And it's just like so fucking boring. Um, but like overall, it's like so it's actually very fucking hard to produce content about K-pop itself mm-hmm. because to do so would require a honest to make something an interesting piece of art would require an interesting like in reflection on K-pop and the system and the exploitation and the you know the pros and cons of k-pop right you can't just have like a very uh, a version of k-pop yeah. you can't but separate also to, yeah. you
2: can't separate the the art with the um with the apparatus that creates that art
0: yeah and which has a lot of like shady shit going on right but that's also kind of the interesting part of it but then also you're not gonna get like a true k-pop buy-in without if you're gonna have that, right? Like like JYP, you know, BTS's company, Hybe, they're not gonna like buy in or be a part of something that makes them look bad. Because again, this apparatus, which is like very deliberate and mm-hmm. large part of a South Korean economy, um is they're not gonna risk that. So theater actually did seem like the best medium for something like this, right? Because mm-hmm. they could it was a little more insulated, it's not as involved, like film and TV, you're never gonna get that. Like so I'm just like, it's a shame that it's just gone so quickly.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, I'm sure when this it is comes the bad
0: part of theater, right? Like you want it to be more this is the time you want to be be a little more permanent.
2: Yeah, I feel like when K-pop eventually makes it to the Pentages, um, I'll probably buy a ticket for revenge viewing. Like a fuck you, New York.
0: Yeah, or, you know, I hope it gets mounted. I actually hope it gets mounted in more, like, regional shows because Pentagious is, like, these big ones that they have to tour. Mm. Like, you know, I think even something like, I think this would actually be a perfect home for, like, an East-West Players, at East-West Players, or mm. even, like, um, you know, New York, like, a small, like, maybe bring it back to its off-Broadway roots, like, that level, um, and then maybe we'll see an even more scything, like, Take on it, kind mm-hmm. of the small. It's like indie film. The smaller it is, kind of the bigger swings you can almost take. Yeah, but yeah, it's a shame, and I hope uh, you know the the creative team. I know they had a they had Korean American composer, uh, I think writer as well. I hope you know they this is not the last thing we see from them. I hope we get some new stuff. Yeah, and yeah, oh, Broadway <laughs> theater,
2: so white. Right.
0: Marvin, bring us home with something happy. All right. We don't Uh, want this.
2: Our last story is um, Deadline reports that Ang Lee has tapped his son Mason Lee to play martial arts legend Bruce Lee in an epic film at Sony's 3000 Pictures. My pause is the film is written by Dan Futterman, um, whose previous work includes Capote and Foxcatcher. Um, He's working on the script that has seen previous versions by John Castelli, Alex Law, Maple Chung, and most recently, Wells Tower. So this is a script that's been passed around a lot. Um, I guess, do we want this?
0: You know, I'm going to give Ang Lee the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and I love a Nepo baby story when it's in our favor. So I'm going to say yes, we want this. <laughs> <clears throat> uh,
1: yeah, I I kind of miss Ang Lee. So, and, and this story, I think, has potential in his hands even if he didn't write it he will still have a huge yes. influence on it i believe uh stan Futterman has also done some tv and like i'm trying to check it out right now see what else he's done um political animals i mean yes. i think he's actually a decent writer uh foxcatcher was a little concerning capote was all right i thought okay. so yeah yes
0: and and you know we do we do have at least one asian writing pair in there so yeah. hopefully they did some cultural passes um, Shannon Lee Bruce Lee's daughter is involved which I you know I I know Shannon a little bit personally and I do think she you know she's made it her life's work to protect her father's legacy and I know she has not always been respected with in due course since some of these projects um, and the more I think of it it makes a lot of sense because Ang Lee and Bruce Lee Have a lot of similarities. They are both Lee's born elsewhere. Both Lee's born elsewhere and like had to make a life in entertainment in America. Um, I can't you can't deny Mason Lee does look like Bruce Lee. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of a pretty convincing way. That side by side is very good. The good job, PR team. Um, is you know, they they both had to make their life in the States. Um, I feel like Bruce Lee has been mishandled in a lot of recent projects. I'm talking to you, Quentin Tarantino, fuck you. <laughs> um and that a lot of people know him for his you know his action obviously and him being a great martial artist. But also Bruce Lee was like very chill. Like he had a whole philosophy of being chill. Uh, I'm very simplifying this greatly um he was also a dancer he seemed like a very devoted father and husband. Um, and Ang Lee is known for his like quiet family domestic stuff. That's my favorite Ang Lee work. Um, so I think this has a potential to be real interesting in a good way.
2: Yeah. We also know Ang Lee can direct a pretty good martial arts film.
1: Oh, what movie is that? that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I want this too. I With Ang Lee attached to it, I'm like you. Just I'm willing to give him a benefit of the doubt because he he puts out good work and like he's one of those directors where we see him attached to something we're instantly interested.
0: And I thought Mason Lee was pretty good in Dead Pigs.
2: He was great in Dead Pigs,
0: uh, which was fun. And that's Kathy Han film. <laughs> um, and uh, what else has yeah, he been I, in?
2: The, uh, he he does not, a lot of work overseas, much. right?
0: Yeah, and you know Bruce Lee. It's surprising to me that he hasn't gotten like the big feature biopic Mm -hmm. yet in like like a mainstream studio setting. I feel like there's been like TV movies. Um, Maybe it was an estate thing. Maybe it does look like this was in development hell for a while with this many writers on it. Um, But for I don't know. I don't know if I'm reading too much of this or making assumptions, but I feel like people know a lot about Bruce Lee the icon or like that image of Bruce Lee, but they don't actually know his work Mm-hmm. Or his life very
2: much yeah like i hope i want this to be like the bruce lee biopic not like the the story of bruce lee the actor or bruce lee the you know the um person who died right
1: um yeah because I mean, he has
0: so many interesting he, he, yeah, he died when he was like 32 right yeah yeah like, really yeah. oh yeah
1: super young
0: but like has so many parts. I wonder if like they're going to do like a sweeping, like let's tackle everything or like really hone in on like a specific time because he has so many interesting things about him, like the immigration, the cha-cha dancing champion part. Wouldn't it be great if this was just <laughs> a movie about him being a cha-cha champion dancer? Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, the 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 martial arts training, the, the trying to break into Hollywood, the like deciding to do his own going to hong kong because like hollywood being dumb um you know like there's a lot of the the philo- philo- philosophy like school teaching part yeah like there's a lot you could cover but and it's cute father said oh my god talk about generational trauma what would it be it like we've all worked with our parents in some capacity could you imagine if your dad <laughs> was directing you like would you be able to do that i
2: mean if your dad was also oscar award-winning director
1: on lee <laughs>
0: I mean, he's done some films with his dad. Like, he was the baby in the wedding banquet, I
1: guess. Which is <laughs> like, yeah. probably one of my favorite movies by Ang Lee. So.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you think, Han, as uh, the resident martial arts
0: fan? Well,
1: yeah, martial arts. But also, I think what we've pointed out many times is, besides being a good director, and even, again, even if he's not writing it, he will bring the humanity out of, the, of this. Because if that's one through line with all of his... Movies is that he does really great character work. Um, he makes you kind of care. Uh, I think *Eat Drink Man Woman* was something that I grew up watching, just kind mar- of marveling that at that movie. Um, and also, you know what? *Sense and Sensibility*. You know, going up love that one. Early Austin for me was all he he was doing it all so I'm very awesome, curious I still have not
0: recovered emotionally from the last scene in Brokeback Mountain just FYI <laughs> yeah
1: like I, I feel like growing up was also growing up with Ang Lee and his many different ways that he told stories um so I'm kind of curious also to see what this will be like I'm, I kind of don't know if I want to hear anything until it comes out. I almost want to be surprised. But um, yeah, I'm kind of excited.
2: Yeah. And I guess I guess we did end it on a bright note after a couple a couple bummer stories. Something that we're, we're excited about. All right. Well, that'll do it for this edition of Do We Want This? And this episode of The Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, Jess Han, if people want to find more of your thoughts, where can they go?
1: still
0: on twitter till the boat sinks at just you tweets <laughs> and i am at anonymous
2: i feel like we're approaching the shore i feel like things are yeah my like...
0: algorithm doesn't like upload and i'm not like seeing things like mm. in the right order That's who true. knows just
1: make sure you don't go at the for you tab and go to your following tab. i just Got it. Thank found you. that is that yes. new i think a lot of people have been mentioning it to me in the past few weeks kind of like oh but yeah also that's annoying um yeah. well but, at least the
2: view uh, counter is no longer on the left most oh my god um icon
1: i mean i'm still using it
2: <sighs> i know we're degenerates we're stuck you can find me on twitter at marvin yeah <laughs> you can find our show good pop club uh as always we are proud members of the potluck podcast collective check out our fellow asian american hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. um and yeah jess welcome back um great chatting with you about pop culture again um we'll see you next week we'll have the whole crew um hopefully nothing bad happens between now and then Um, knock
0: on wood marvin knock on wood
2: (laughs) uh but until then thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on good pop bye everybody
1: Bye. Bye.